was in medical school in New Haven, Connecticut in the late 80s and early 90s, so you can do the math if you want to. During part of that time, I worked Monday nights as a volunteer at AIDS Project New Haven, and I was on the hotline. Most of the calls that I got were things like, is there a dentist that will treat me? Um, where can I go to a doctor that is trained in this particular field? And a very common one was, where is the cheapest place to buy AZT? AZT was the first drug used to treat HIV, being licensed to treat HIV in 1987. It wasn't a miracle cure. In those days, it could only be counted on to increase lifespan by about a year. But at the time, any improvement in survival was at least something. Then in 1996, the whole landscape of HIV infection changed. With the introduction of a regimen using a combination of medications, HIV became a manageable disease. Those affected could live a long and normal life. When this new therapy was given to those with full-blown AIDS, physicians and nurses began to see what they called the Lazarus effect. Now, what does the Lazarus effect actually look like? Well, people who are on the verge of dying from AIDS return to their jobs and to their families. Bones that were dry and wasted gain muscle and come back to life. Those who were near death start to live again. It's a resurrection that affects a whole community. The whole fabric of society is transformed. It is a change that is happening over and over again, especially in Africa, where the number of people receiving adequate treatment for HIV and AIDS continues to increase, going from about 11,000 at the turn of the century to 11 million in 2015. What we come to see is that the raising of Lazarus wasn't just an event that happened 2,000 years ago. It also happens in the here and the now. Now, resurrection in the here and now is certainly not something Martha and Mary expect in today's gospel reading. They both tell Jesus that their brother wouldn't have died if Jesus had just been there. But still, they don't seem to expect Jesus to do anything about it at this point in time. When Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again, Martha responds, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But she doesn't see resurrection as something that happens here and now. I think we often slip into that same mode of thinking. At least I do. All will be made right one day, in the future, in heaven. That's when we'll see what eternal life means, and that's when we'll experience a glorious resurrection. But Jesus isn't content with a new life that takes place only in the future. Instead, Jesus becomes the source of life for Lazarus in the here and now, calling Lazarus out of his tomb and back into the arms of his friends and family. I am resurrection and I am life, Jesus says. There's not a qualifying tense on that verb. Just as access to essential medication for HIV affects and transforms a whole community, 
we see that the resurrection of Lazarus has effects far beyond Lazarus alone. Mary and Martha are assumed to be single women living in a patriarchal culture. To be without their brother would have made them vulnerable in first century Judean society. And many of the Jews who followed Mary out to meet Jesus and then on to Lazarus' tomb saw what Jesus did and they believed. The raising of Lazarus changes the life of many. At first glance, I confess, it seems that the liturgical committee that put together the lectionary readings for this Sunday confused the season of Lent with the season of Easter. What are we doing reading resurrection stories in Lent? We haven't even arrived at the cross yet, much less at the empty tomb. But then on further examination, it all seems to fit for the Sunday just before Palm Sunday. When Jesus gets word of Lazarus' death, he's on the other side of the Jordan River, having fled from Jerusalem because the people there were threatening to stone him. When Jesus decides to return to Judea, the disciples respond with disbelief, if not even disapproval. Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you, and are you going there again? But Jesus goes, and that decision seals his fate. Because as we read later in the Gospel of John, some of the people there the day Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead went and told the Pharisees exactly what Jesus had done. The Pharisees and the chief priests called a meeting of the council, scared that the Romans would respond to this Jesus of Nazareth by destroying both the temple and the Jewish nation. We're told that from that day on they planned to put him to death. This was the risk Jesus took in going back. Many scholars say that Jesus didn't go back to Judea immediately upon hearing of Lazarus' illness because he planned to raise Lazarus from the dead as a sign to the whole world. In Jewish tradition, it was believed that the soul hovered near the body for three days after death. Waiting until Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days made the miracle unquestionably one of raising Lazarus truly from the dead. But other scholars bring up another possibility. Maybe during the two days that Jesus lingered on the other side of the Jordan, he was pondering the risk that he was taking. He was coming to grips with what returning might mean. He was undergoing what some call a Gethsemane experience. In the same way, maybe, just maybe, Jesus' tears at Lazarus' tomb held within them a deep grief for both Lazarus and for the fate that Jesus would inevitably endure. Could this be the time that Jesus comes face to face with the cost he'll have to pay for the life of his friend? Life for Lazarus in the here and now comes with a cost for Jesus and for Lazarus. Because in the next chapter of John, we hear that the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death as well, since it was because of him that many were believing in Jesus. So living a life of resurrection in the here and now comes with a cost. We see it in this passage from John. And I think that it's no different for us today. Giving of ourselves, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, doesn't come cheap. It demands all that we are. Maybe the liturgical committee that put together the lectionary had today's readings in just the right spot.
coming as they do before the story of the passion that we read next week. The transformations of the world, this giving of life to the world that we're called to participate in, it comes with a cost. We will see that all too clearly on Palm Sunday. But if we follow this path all the way to Easter morning, we find nothing less than life itself, abundant, joyful life that transforms the world. Where in our lives might Jesus want to raise us from the dead in the here and now? Where in our lives might Jesus want to breathe the breath of new life in us? What part of our lives cries out for resurrection? Is there an associated cost that seems too great to pay? Can we trust that on the other side lies joy and healing and love?